What does it mean to be a young survivor with a rare cancer or facing a disease that seems to defy the boundaries of age, despite what your doctors may say? Hi, and welcome to Kidney Cancer Unfiltered, the podcast by the Kidney Cancer Association, diving deep into the raw stories of kidney cancer patients and survivors. I'm Anaria Skacha, your guide through the real unfiltered experiences that often go untold. Today, we are joined by Melissa Helmick, a young cancer survivor who continues to grapple with the unknown. Dismissed by providers who labeled kidney cancer as an old person's disease, Melissa has felt the weight of isolation and uncertainty. In our conversation, we'll go through her journey of finding resilience, connecting with fellow young adult survivors, and embracing the mantra, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Join us as we peel back the layers of a story that goes beyond individual struggles, shedding light on the challenges faced by many young cancer survivors and what representation can do to change the experience. Well, thank you, Melissa, for joining me. Um, While I may know you very well because we're very close friends, why don't you tell our listeners more about yourself and your story? My tumor was found for chromophobe renal cell carcinoma in 2020, just on like a routine looking for a hernia type of thing. I am a mom of three. Actually, it was my youngest that helped me find the tumor. And I have a husband and I'm a photographer. Well, thank you for joining me and telling us more about yourself. So for everyone listening, talk more about like your experience finding this tumor, kind of the emotions you went through, especially being young, right? Like being so young, yeah. having this tumor, being a mom, all that fun stuff. Um, and funds relative word. Uh, just, yeah, talk, talk us all through it. So I was relatively healthy, I guess. I was, so 2020, that would have put me at 20, 27. Yeah, it was just before my 28th birthday. So I had just had a baby, my third child. And he was a large baby and I'm a generally tiny person. And so I was pretty sure that he gave me a hernia and I wanted to start like working out, get in shape. And so I went to my doctor and I was like, Hey, I'm pretty sure that I have a hernia. Can we like check on this? So I went for a CT and they were like, Hey, there's also some sort of something on your kidney. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So that kind of like threw me. Cause I was like, like nothing's ever come up on any of my yeah. imaging stuff before like what the heck and like I don't know if other people did this but I was always one of those like when you're in the shower and you're young and you get all this hair that's coming out and you're like oh my god I definitely have cancer and then you realize no you're being silly you definitely don't have cancer so then it, like all of that came through my head I'm like what if I like jinxed myself and I do have cancer or something mm-hmm. but they were like no it's it's probably fine it's probably just you know like a simple cyst no big deal So they wanted me to go for like a more in-depth scan. So I did that, I want to say like a few weeks later. And they were like, hey, we want to watch this. We don't think it's anything concerning, but we need to see if it continues to get bigger. So in six months, we want you to come back and have another one. And I was like, oh, all right. You know, and then like in the back of my head, it was kind of like, like I was freshly postpartum. Like I was only... I don't even, he wasn't even a year old. So he was like maybe six months, give or take. And then like with the other two kids and then like now you're talking about the pandemic, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, well, no sense in freaking out about it now. I still have six months. Like it's as if it grows. 
And, you know, of course, everybody was like, oh, it's nothing. I'm, it's, it's definitely yeah. nothing. Like, you're healthy. You're fine. Like, do you have any pain? Or and I'm like, no, I feel fine. So then when I went in for that scan, it was my primary doctor. And she was like, hey, so this is out of my hands now. She's like, you need to go see this urologist. And I'm like, why? Why is it out of your hands? I don't like that. And she's just like, um, it, you know, it did get bigger, but this, I can't do anything about it. You probably should have it removed. And so when I got to the, well, so she gave me the, like the printout of what yeah. the results of the CT were. And because um, for those that don't know me, I'm neurodivergent and just found out a year, almost a year ago that I'm autistic. And then three, two or three years ago that I also have ADHD. And because of that and physicians that just dismissed me, I was like, she didn't read all this stuff on here. What does all this stuff mean? So I did what I, what I do best and I researched and it said, all I remember was it said, oh my gosh, it was that one specific type of category. Oh, the Bosniak. It was like a Bosniak level three, maybe a four. And it had been a two F and I was like, well, what's all that supposed to mean? So I Googled it and that was when it was like, oh, well now it's a 50 to 60% minimum that it's cancer. And I was like, oh yeah, it's definitely cancer. It's for sure. Yeah. Like, you know. And then of course, again, everybody was like, no, 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 it's not. You're just, you're just worrying. Like you still have 50% that it's not. And so I went and saw this doctor and he's like, you're so young. He's like, this is an old man's disease. He's like, I highly doubt that it's cancer. And I'm like, oh, cool. So we're just going to take it out. And like, I had wanted it out anyway, because my thinking was even if it's benign, like if it got bigger, eventually it's going to like impact my kidney function. So I was like, let's just, let's just get it out, you know? And then after, after it came out, that was when they said, um, and it was really, you know, fun time I'm using that fun mm -hmm. word again. Um, it was a really fun time because it was during COVID. I was not allowed to bring my husband into my appointment with me. And they told me by myself and it was the PA. I had not, I have never seen my surgeon since surgery. And all he told me was, or all she told me was, so it was cancer. She's like, it's a rare cancer. And you're going to have scans and blood work and stuff. And that's about it. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I threw up when she told me because like, I, I kind of thought that if I told myself this whole time that like, it, if it was cancer, that I'd be prepared for them to tell me. Um, but turns out that it doesn't prepare <laughs> you at all no. for when they actually say it. And um, I just remember my husband and I, we were going, we went out to dinner and I remember drinking a beer because I was like, let's celebrate. I don't have cancer anymore. And then I didn't realize that after that, and like I, in the van on the way to the restaurant, I was trying to like research about this type that they told me it was. And I found literally like five or six pages that just regurgitated the same three sentences mm -hmm. about it. And I was like, there's nothing about this. I don't like that. And then I thought I would be fine. But then as time kept going on, it was one of those things like, oh my God, I had cancer and before 30 at that, like, so, and then like having kids on top of it, it, it was an experience, not one that yeah. I ever want to do again. <laughs> no, it's not fun doing it again. I could tell you that much. No. Um, but you brought up uh, a couple a point that a good point that um, I want to transition into is that comment that it's an old man's disease because I got, a similar like I got almost the same comment like verbatim like almost verbatim like you're young you're healthy you're fit 
you know, I don't see women like you here. You know, this is usually an old men. And I personally, I got pretty good care. I, I will admit I was privileged enough to get really great care, but there was still that, that dismissal that I think impacts this assailant's part of it, right? Because it's like yeah. this idea that still can kind of reverberate through everything about, well, I'm still young and I'm still healthy. And I just want you to just explore that more and like how just kind of having that dismissal had impacted you. Honestly, it was like the first of what led to, well, the neurodivergence was where I first experienced it. Like, I think that was honestly the first time that I had realized like that the medical field was like that. But then when I thought back on it, I was like, did he lie to me? And I was like, or did he just like look at me like from the outside, not even knowing me? And he's like, oh, you're healthy. And I mean, and it's bizarre because like, you know, but for those that don't, um, chromophobe generally is slow growing. And mm -hmm. I just, I remember asking like how I, or I Googled, like what is the growth rate that, from what they know of chromophobe? And the math that I did, I likely had it since I was like 23, mm -hmm. maybe ish, like from what they do know. And then like, I remember calling them and um, it was maybe just about a week post-op. I thought I had one of my incisions was infected um, and they were really dismissive then. And I just stopped and I thought about it and I was like, I don't understand. Like this is supposed to be one of the worst things that you can go through in life is having cancer. And they were probably, I don't want to say they were the worst because I'm sure there's worse doctors out there, but it definitely wasn't the experience that I would have thought. Like it made me feel really crappy. Just like, it made me think like they obviously have never been through that or have somebody close to them go through that because I don't think that they would have acted or treated me the way that they did. And then even afterwards, I'm pretty sure I still have that hernia from the mm -hmm. surgery. Um, and they dismissed me with that too. They're like, it's just scar tissue. But like that and then having to be at home and like not, it wasn't my husband and it like, it wasn't specific family. And I don't think, even if it, if they did, the people that did say things about like, oh, well, like it's out, you know, it's gone, you know, that type of thing. I don't think they ever meant those things in a harmful way, but hearing all that at that particular time in my life, I don't think I've ever quite like, and I've been through domestic violence and everything. And I don't, I still think even that wasn't as bad, but I don't think I ever felt more alone than I did with the dismissal and all of the things related to the cancer. Like I truly felt so alone. And I think that is a common feeling among young survivors. You know, cancer is jarring no matter your age, but there are these preconceived notions. I think we can all admit there are pre preconceived notions about age and cancer. And when you, oh, yeah. you know, when you do get cancer and when prevention starts, this is a conversation I was having with my partner, Sam, about, you know, our current rules and standards for preventative cancer care and how it just, it honestly starts too late, right? Like if we know, oh, it does. you know, yeah, if we know that there are young survivors and they are getting younger and younger, we are getting younger and younger. Like, why are we waiting, you know, until the fifties to do these surveillance? And well, it really and comes down to that age factor. You bringing that up is funny because through all of this, and I, I love my oncologist now. I really do. I think she's great. But one thing that makes me so frustrated is 
because of my age, I want lifelong scans. Even if it's like once every, like, even if it was like once a year or once every two years, like that would make my anxiety feel better. But she doesn't, she thinks, doesn't think it's necessary. And it's really frustrating. But then she ordered genetic testing because the first time I had genetic testing done, I think it was, hmm, I remember it was before. No, it was after I had the tumor removed because I was told I didn't need an oncologist, but I ended up getting one anyway. And so she ordered some genetic testing, but it was only like, I I don't remember exactly how many, but I remember talking to you and some of our other friends that it wasn't as much as you guys had had. And I was like, well, I don't like that either. So she did like the full gamut. She ran everything. And I think it's because a lot of people were like, oh, well, your immediate family doesn't have a huge history. And I'm like, that's because I don't have a lot of immediate family. Like I'm an only child. My mom's an only child. But when I got the genetic testing results back, they didn't find anything yet. But it was recommended that I start, that I call the Breast Cancer Prevention Center that mm-hmm. they have there. And when I asked my oncologist about it, I was like, you know, do you think that I should call now? And she goes, you don't need to start getting that until you're 40. And I'm like, if I have a history of breast cancer in my family. Shouldn't I get that now? Especially because I've had one cancer young already. And as much as I love her, even she still has that, you know, I don't know if it's called, if it would be a bias, but the whole like, you're too young. You don't need it yet. And I'm like, but why? Yeah. Like I'm seeing so many people that I know, even if I don't know them like super personally, but so many people that I know that are under 50 or even under 40 that have had breast cancer. Um, I actually know two personally that had breast cancer, you know, our small group that we know that were young and, you know, got kidney cancer. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't understand. Like I know the risk of the radiation and everything. But at the end of the day, like, I feel like that's so minimal compared to finding out late about a cancer or, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, no, I think it, it definitely is an age bias in the medical industry. The, you know, there are so many studies out there about age bias. There are so many studies out there about bias towards gender and race and ethnicity. And I, we need more training, I think. Like, we need yeah. a lot more inclusivity training um, and just education among medical professionals, letting them know that, you know, we, we exist, right? Young survivors yeah. exist. Yeah. And that and we- you say that, like saying that, you know, hey, we exist. And like, I hope nobody takes this the wrong way. I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. Childhood cancer is awful. It is like, I don't even have words for it as a mom. I don't like, I could not even comprehend. It's awful for the older generation because they just might not have as as much strength to fight it. Um, But like, I almost feel like if you're not a child with cancer or not an older person with cancer, it almost feels like, well, you don't exist at all. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. I think that there's something very jarring about getting any type of illness or disease or condition at that kind of, I don't know what to call it, right? Like that middle, <laughs> that that middle age, it's not middle age, but it's like that, that just, that I, I have that age range, right? That age range between yeah. like 20, 21 and like 42 or something like yeah. you know, say, right? Like, because 
Yeah. Breast cancer starts at 40 and screening colonoscopy start at like 45. Yeah. They told me so, that I should start mine at 40 and I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, but maybe we should do that just, just a little earlier. Yeah. I think there, I, I don't know for me, I think there needs to be some change in standard when it comes to younger survivors and their, I'm, and their surveillance. Right. Cause there's, yeah, I know, also think they should there. take into account. Yeah. I think they should also take into account like our personal feelings because like, Sure. As a, at a medical standpoint, if I hit, you know, when I hit my five years, you know, technically I'm supposed to be done with my scan, but if I have massive anxiety about ending that, I don't understand why it's such a big deal, you know, to allow me to have some sort of peace of mind. Like, I feel like they expect me to be like, Oh, you've made it five years. It's time to move on now. No. No. Yeah. I agree with you there because there's so many people and that's one, you know, one, one hard part about being part of part of support groups is that you see all of those stories where people yeah. after 20 years have a recurrence or have a new second, like a new primary and granted, you know, that's, it's a percentage and it's, you know, an extreme right yeah. that we're seeing in a support group. But the fact is that's a reality and, you know, there's so, I don't want to step on my soapbox about the metal, medical industrial complex, right? Like I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to step on my soapbox, but with the research out there, the studies out there about how, like about these biases and whatnot, there are so many ends up being misdiagnoses, you know, treatment yeah. too late. And I think the more that young survivors speak out about their experience, especially in terms of you know, treatment and like, just in terms of everything, not, you know, but particularly surveillance, I think the more, you know, we can potentially change the perception. There was one thing that I remember we, you, I, and like just our group of friends had this discussion about being in an oncologist's office, right? And that, that view or treatment as if you are not the patient, but the child, Right. And like, yeah. you're just kind of dismissed or not treated with the same type of empathy or sympathy, because there's this perception that you're there for someone else. I was in my oncologist's office the other day um, for my, for our listeners, I am another year kidney cancer free. I wish I could say three years cancer free, but I'll get there at some point, but I'm another year cancer free of kin free of kinsing cancer. Uh, and I, I did see a couple of younger people and there was this part of me that was kind of relieved, right. That I yeah. wasn't just the only younger person there. I mean, I am going to be 41 oh, yeah. next year. So I guess that's no longer young, but I did, you know, first have cancer at 37. Well, so you don't look like it. So you're, uh, we'll, we'll take you into our, you know. yeah, uh, that's just because of the blur and like the zoom, like you see other photos. I'm like, Oh, there, there's my age. But my whole point is it's like, <laughs> you know, the young, like younger looking person. And it was just, there was a kind yeah. of a relief to not be the only one, right? Like there's, I think a yeah. representation issue in the cancer survivorship community, you know, and there even definitely the cancer is like, community. Go on. Oh yeah. Like, um, my husband's aunt, she had breast cancer and, you know, she's older you know, and just like, I literally, like you said, every single time that I go into the oncology office, or like, so where I go, I go to um, KU Medical. And so it's like a giant whole pavilion, like a whole building for it. It, I don't see, 
like it's all more older like honestly I've seen more elderly than even like middle age um I might have seen like maybe one or two um that might be closer in age to me since I've been going there um and I've been there almost two years now and it's just like at first it was kind of like laughable because I was like oh my god I'm the youngest one here this is so weird and then after a while it's like this isn't this isn't funny anymore like I know and I I'm, I don't want to assume for everybody that is older but I've spoken to a few older folks that have had cancer um, older in age and you know they've all pretty much said that you know when they were scared they were like well you know I've lived most of my life like my kids are grown or you know things of that nature and I'm like I don't know what that's like because my kids are little like yes that's like I, I haven't lived my life yet like I haven't even been married 10 years my I none of my children have graduated like there's just so many things that I haven't done or experienced yet in life and like it's a really unique thing to have to think about like well if it comes back or like at, at the time and for those that don't know I did not have clean margins for my surgery and so what that means is there very well could be cancer still in my body um when they remove the tumor there's supposed to be um, like a margin around it that is cancer free cells and everything um, and mine was not so like yeah I may have uh what am I two three almost three years now cancer free but like what if I'm not next time you know my kids are still young my littlest just turned four and you know it just, it, it's a unique thing because like, I have to sit here and wonder like, if it ever comes back, you know, am I going to get to watch my kids grow up? Exactly. And, and I, I, I understand, and I know you do too. Like, I understand this want to, you know, comfort us to look at the positive for us to be grateful to, to not, you know, be grip, gripped by fear. But, you know, in my case, I, I mean, we were both told the same thing, like we'll live long lives it will be yeah. rare. You don't, you won't get it again. And that may be true, but that doesn't mean another cancer won't come into your life. Right. And you're looking at me. We're I, still young. I, there's plenty yeah, of time. They're still young. There's plenty of time. And, you know, I, I got, I had cancer twice. I had two different types of cancer. I don't know what my body's going to do to me. And like, it, that is yeah. a, that is a reality and a hard reality that I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life that everyone is saying that I have to live. Right. And like my right. son is eight and I want to be able to watch him grow up. Like yeah. I want to be able to see, like, there's no guarantee and they could, you know, I don't know if you've, ever, you've heard this, but I've heard people um, say, or like through others say, well, you could go outside and get hit by a car. And yeah, sure. You could, you could, but it's like, you know, cancer is a different experience. You can it get is. walk out and get hit by a car at 82, right? Like it, yeah. it can happen. You could have, that could have happened when you were a kid. I feel like, happen. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know, just to me, it feels like the concept like that they're saying like, oh, well you could, you know, walk outside and get hit by a car. I feel like that's more likely to happen than like, especially like our cancer, like chromophobe is rare or well, they say it's rare. I don't know. But like, I feel like I'm, probably more likely to get hit by a car. So, you know, the idea of like, Hey, you know, cancer probably isn't going to come back, but it might like, I got one rare cancer already. Like, 
the word rare or uncommon doesn't mean anything to me. And then like, you know, there's not that I'm aware of any official studies or like anything or like anything like saying, yes, like the type of um, the second cancer that you got is directly related, but there's so many like things pointing that they are connected. And like you and I, like, I feel like you and I have a special bond in it because we were both stage one. You yes, know, and yeah. we understand the whole, uh, especially being younger, the whole, oh, well, it was just stage one, like, you're fine. It's not, you know, it's not as bad as it could have been type of thing. But then knowing that you did, in fact, get another cancer and that there's some evidence out there pointing that they could be related, like, that scared the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, when I heard that, like, not only was I so upset for you and, like, worried because you're my friend, but then it got me thinking in, in kind of a crappy place again that like oh my god that really can happen and then learning more about it I'm like can I just get a whole body scan please like I'm only 31 like yeah one full body scan's not gonna hurt me that much like just so I have some peace of mind that hey there's not some weird maybe tumor thing floating around somewhere you know it's yeah it's just and I don't like I just don't know how to explain it because like you said so many people are like oh well don't focus on like the what ifs the negatives but like else am I supposed to do like I was never yeah. I was 27 I was not supposed to have cancer at 27 yeah not supposed to have cancer at all right yeah. like it's just and I think well yeah is, <laughs> yeah right and I think that's the thing there so I just I want to make it clear right for our listeners that it's we're not doing this like age against age kind of thing right it's just it's again more about like representation and misperceptions around age and cancer um and there was a point to that, uh, but you know, it's something that comes up often that I have conversations I think with. I think, say I think it's just to say that like, we're not trying to say like, no, I think we were just trying to say like, it's not that we're trying to pit ages or anything. It's not worse to have it as an older um, person, a younger person. It's just, there are unique things that aren't discussed, you know, in our yeah. particular age area. Um, and we would like people to be more understanding and aware of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, what I was also going to say is like, you know, there's this concept of dialectical thinking and it's like, you can be worried and grateful at the same time. And I think in my experience, particularly when you're a younger survivor, it seems like you're, you know, there's this pressure to not have that, right. It's like, there's this pressure to just be grateful, like you have to fit into yeah. this like warrior archetype. Um, and I might've mentioned that on another, on another pot, like podcast episode, but it's so prevalent and it's not necessarily from other cancer survivors, right? Like we all internalize our messages. Yeah. So we might perpetuate those messages. We all internalize them, but it's often from people who have not had any um, experience with cancer in any way. Yeah. And for sure. it's just all we're asking for, I th- again, is that representation, that understanding, that empathy, that it, it's very jarring when you're young. It's jarring it at any yeah. age, but there, there again, there's a unique experience um, when you have not lived that full life and your kid's not 45 or 55, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, it just, it scares me. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful for my prognoses. Um, but as you said, you know, the term rare means nothing. 
Um, yeah. Thyroid cancer is not exactly, while it might be a common, um, one of the common cancers for women, it's not exactly a common cancer. There's like less than 50,000 cases a year in the US. Yep. So it's not exactly common. So whenever doctors say it's common, I'm like, do we have the same definition <laughs> of common? Like, do we have this? I, I don't think we do. <laughs> It's, it's so funny to me because like, and I've like, I've made my oncologist laugh when I first met her because, you know, she's like, you know, oh, you got a rare cancer. You know, I don't see a whole lot of chromophobe coming in here. Um, I got the same and, thing. Yeah. And I was just like that. And I just kind of chuckled and she goes, you know, wondering what I was laughing at. And I'm like, I just don't find rare to be a thing with anymore because like so many times, oh, well, you have this that's rare or like pots. I have pots and they're like, oh, it's all rare. It's rare. It's rare. So it's rare that it's going to come back. And I'm like, have you met me though? Like yeah. <laughs> I seem to have a magnet for rare things. Yeah. Um, and then um, another thing I was going to add in is besides like, this age having to wonder, like, am I going to leave my children a mother before they're grown? It also was a thought that my mother is like, my father and I are estranged, but I'm very close with my mom and my mom is still alive. And as a parent myself, I can't fathom watching your child go before you because yeah. that's not how it's supposed to work, you know? And so like, I also had that like, oh my God, what's like, what's going to happen to my mom, you know, if some, if the worst should happen with me, you know? Um, and it's just, there's just so many things that you don't think about. So, yeah. um, just quickly for our audience, can you explain what POTS is? So POTS is um, short for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. A lot of folks think that it's just a heart issue, but it's more of an autonomic nervous system issue. Um, I do believe, I don't know if they've officially done it. I think they are um, starting to classify it as, um, what is that word? Fibromyalgia is under it. Autoimmune is what mm. I was going to say. Because so like for me, a lot of my symptoms are like, I don't tolerate heat and cold very well. I get blood pooling. Um, so like when I change positions a lot, I get super, super dizzy and lightheaded. Many people with POTS pass out. Um, I don't or have not yet, thankfully, but it just, it's a whole bunch of things. You can take like extra electrolytes and compression garments, which are so attractive. <laughs> so yeah. And it's, that's something that comes with like neurodivergence. It's a comorbidity. And then mm. I also have, I'm pretty sure EDS, which is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. And they say those are also rare. Yeah. So that's, that's probably why a lot of people are like, oh, she says rare doesn't mean anything, but that's just why, because over the course of the last five years, I've discovered so many different health things that I'm just like, none of this rare means anything to me anymore. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. I did want to go back to something you had said um, in terms of like that, that feeling, right. Of, you know, what if, um, and I think part of it too, for anyone is learning how to manage it, right. Like yeah. learning how to manage those moments of like, you know, shadow thinking, if you will, because we all have them, but I think there, and this goes, this transcends age, but I think there is this need for us to accept that those thoughts exist, you know, yeah. like we can't ignore the fact that we do have those thoughts. Cause I think the more we ignore it, you're going to, we're going to hit that wall. We're going to hit that point where we break down. But if we yeah. can like sit there and acknowledge we are ha like, we have these fears, we, we can 
we can sit with them, we can comfort them, and then we could put it aside and like go yeah. about our day. You know, I think ignoring the reality just does us more damage. And then when we have the people around us, you know, also ignoring that reality and dismissing that reality and saying things like, well, it's you know, an old man's disease. It's like, clearly it's not an old man's disease. Yeah. Right. Clearly it happens to women too. Clearly it happens <laughs> to younger people too. You know, you can't, you can't make these sweeping generalizations based on limited research. It's, you know, we yeah. know that particularly chromophobe, um, there are other rare, like rare types of kidney cancer that are also very under research, which is why KCA is doing the amazing work they're doing with their grants and funding that research. But you know, we don't know anything about chromophobe. Like we, we don't know its profile very well. We don't it's, know. It's not like breast cancer. And this is not to say that like breast cancer is not as bad and they don't deserve all the funding and all the things. Cause they absolutely do. But like so much is known about breast cancer that like every single person that I know that's ever had breast cancer, they went in and they were told okay, um, this is what your stage and grade and all this stuff is, Your um, what subtype you have, this is exactly your course of treatment. That's, it's not like that for hours, you know? Yeah. And yeah, and then like going back to what you said about the, the what ifs, I think the recovery of the cancer, it wasn't great, but it, it, it wasn't as awful as, you know, what I know some other people have experienced, but I yes. definitely think the mental toll has been way worse like and what you were saying about having to like you know sit with it but then not let it consume you basically is really hard especially yes. when you already struggle with depression yeah. and anxiety and then you add cancer into it you know and so like I know there's probably a bunch of people out there that are like oh well why does she keep bringing up the cancer like that was how many years ago she's cancer free it's not yeah. back like get over it you know you're fine you're healthy like but that's what I thought when I was, they said that I had cancer. And then like, it also th makes me think like, if, if I hadn't had a baby that was so big, that gave me a hernia to have to, you know, have the imaging, how much longer would I have had it? You know, like would I, when they, when it was discovered, would I have been stage two? Would I have been stage three? Would it have been stage four? Would it have been too late? Yeah. You know, there's, there's so many what ifs and like, just looking back on it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's very easy, I guess, to get consumed with it. And I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there that maybe aren't affected as much mentally, you know, with a cancer diagnosis that they've had. And that's fantastic. And I'm so yeah. happy for them, but I don't feel like that's the reality for most people. I feel no. like it's one of those, one of those things where we're expected, especially our generation to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Yeah. And just, you know, keep trudging forward. Um, and so there's really not a lot of room to talk about it. Yeah, I would agree. Again, and it goes back to that. You're so young, you're going to live a healthy life. Just be grateful. What has it been like for you trying to find other people who share your experience? I feel like, see, this is, it's, I feel like I got very lucky. Um, and I say that because I was just like, I don't even remember what I was doing one day, but somehow I found Catherine's shirt. No, it was her story. I think it was, 
for those that don't know, a friend of ours, Catherine, she um, was originally diagnosed stage one, I believe. And then just a few months later, they were like, oh, no. No, I think it was stage three. three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, she had one stage initially, and then it was um, later found out that it was worse. And I found her story. And she has the same cancer that I had. And somehow I found it. And it brought me to, I think it brought me to some sort of Facebook group. Yeah. And then that's kind of how I found everybody. And so I feel like I kind of got lucky in that sense. But then also as a photographer, I'm in like a ton of, you know, professional photography groups. And my specialty is documentary photography. So for those that don't know, um, I don't pose people. I don't do props. It's real life, like honest, you guys as you are type of stuff. And that's a smaller group in the photography world. And there was a mentoring program that I signed up for. um, And somebody else that signed up for it as well was currently going through chemo for breast cancer. She lives in Australia. Um, Shout out Kat if you watch this. But she's in her 30s as well. And she's got two young kids just like me. And so we ended up forming such a really close bond because we were in the mentoring. I didn't understand a lot of what she was experiencing because she had, you know, a double mastectomy. She had, she decided on a um, flat closure. She, you know, had the chemo and the radiation and just all the things. I didn't experience that, but I was very lucky that, and um, if I, I, I'm not mistaken, and she can yell at me later if I get this wrong. I also believe she was stage one, but she just understood so much of like how I felt, you know, and I know our little group has talked about it in a sense that like, we don't get chemo. So we don't look sick. We don't look like we had cancer. We, you know, have all my hair, you know, um, and meanwhile, she had none. And like, you can't physically see unless I lift my shirt up. Whereas with her, when you see her, you immediately know. And it was just, we bonded very well also over the fact that, you know, we see all these commercials for like happy cancer survivors and they're all smiles. And I'm like, that is so not the reality. But so I'm very lucky because I just happened to find our little group and then another person. Um, I don't know a whole lot of people other than that, but I will say at least like the groups that I'm in on Facebook seem to be nice. I think I am in a young adult cancer group. Um, I'm not as active in that one as much but I know there's one that exists. And so I'm sure I could possibly find more people, but again, and I just want to keep saying, I'm, I think I'm very lucky. I don't want a lot of people out there to think that, you know, you know, Oh, I'm going to find like some of my best friends because like my kids call my friend auntie cat, you know, that's not, it's not a very common thing. There is support out there, but I'm just very thankful that, you know, things played out the way they did. And I found you guys and I found her because there's definitely times, you know, whether it was with you guys or with her, I know you're, you're like your partner or your spouse is supposed to be your go-to person, but it's kind of really hard for them to understand because they've never yeah. experienced it. They don't, they don't get it. Yeah. And then, so there's, I was yeah. just, I was very lucky. Yeah. I would agree um, with, you know, being lucky to find you guys and be able to like turn to you because there's that collective you know, there's that collective cancer experience. And I won't go through like the um, statistics in this one. So because people should hear the listen to the one on managing emotions. But you know, it's, it's like, I think the statistics are around more than half of cancer patients have and cancer survivors have some mental health concerns related to their cancer, yeah. but only 5% actually get 
treatment. So there is a need there, right? Like there is, despite, yeah. you know, rep, like despite uh, perceptions and how we are represented in the media and whatnot, you know, there there is a very big need there. So we are, yeah, we are very lucky that we've been able to find people that we could turn to and kind of latch on to that like collective cancer experience. Because I think, you know, and not everyone who is young is a parent. Not everyone who's young wants to be a parent. Um, right. So we're obviously speaking from the young parent perspective, but, you know, there, there is that, you know, we want the rest of our life. Um, and we want to make sure that the rest of our life is healthy. We don't want to just assume yeah. it's healthy. We don't want to just be like, okay, we don't have to do these tests because you say so you know, and then yeah, because the last time we did that looked where it got us. Yeah, we got it's it's all about advocating for ourselves. And maybe that's our call of act. No, that is that is a call to action to other younger survivors, and just survivors in general of rare diseases, under researched diseases, uh, ignore diseases, to make more noise, right? If we the only way we can make changes, yeah. if we make noise, they will listen eventually. Yeah, yeah, we have we just have to make that noise. But you bring up a good point you know, that what if question too, it's not necessarily just about us. It's about our friends who don't, who did, who yeah. found it at a later stage. And it's, it's just a different what if, right? So like for us is what if it comes back? Will I have that treatment? Um, yeah. And for them, it's more of like, what if it's not responding to this treatment? Do I have other treatment? Right. But it's, yeah. it is still at the base, you know, a what if that needs to be asked. And I think that's the other thing too, right? It's, when we ask that question of what if it comes back, it's not a woe is me kind of mentality. It's a question that needs an answer and we need prevention or active surveillance or something, right? Yeah. Like it's not just this, oh, you're worried for nothing thing. It's like, no, we have a worst case scenario. Like they tell you this I was, in there businesses. Was, there was a time in our lives where we were never worried about anything. And now exactly. we have to be so. Exactly. It's like they talk about this bit in business all the time, you know, about always planning for the worst case scenario. Like whenever you're doing any type <laughs> of projection planning, you always have to plan for that worst case scenario. So why, like, why is that not applied to us? Like, let us prepare for the worst case scenario. So what are our options? Because then like it can't this... be like, it's not always that bad then. Like, it's funny that you say that because like my, and I don't know if this is like a trauma response. <laughs> But my whole life, I've always been like, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah. Because at least if you prepare for like as bad as it could possibly be, you're like, you're at least prepared for that. And it can only get better from it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's not the assumption that the worst is going to happen. Right. And I think that's the thing. It goes again, yeah. back to misconceptions and other people's own like beliefs and bias is that like asking this question is not hoping for the worst case scenario it's not saying the worst case scenario will happen yeah. but it's keeping yourself prepared for when it will happen because again neither one of us grew up thinking we will have cancer you know nope. neither one of us you know had had thought that would happen and it did and so it's like well now we know and so let's let's find a way to prepare later on we can't just keep ignoring or dismissing like it's that short and I'm probably I'm speaking in corporate terms because that's what I do from a day job but it's that short-term thinking that just ends up screwing you in the end and it's like yeah. if we could just make noise and change the system where it's not so rooted in short-term thinking and it's more holistic and 
long-term view and preventative versus re like reactionary um yep. we could have so much a healthier and when I say healthier I don't mean like go to the gym jump on like 24 inch <laughs> boxes and then do a burpee I mean just you know less cancer and less yep. autoimmune diseases and you know less less COVID if you will right so we have about a minute left. I just want to open the floor to you to talk about anything that maybe we didn't touch on, like a point that you want to get across. I guess the biggest thing that I would say is for anybody, whether it's like you're young and it's kidney cancer or just anybody that's younger going through any type of cancer, the one thing that I would encourage the most is finding whatever outlet is going to work for you to help you work through the emotions and let yourself feel them. I am not doing it as much as I would have, but as a photographer, I started taking self-portraits and I can say that my friend Kat, she obviously because she had surgeries and had much more to document, she documented so much more of her cancer and through her cancer journey that I was able to. Um, and I can say that a thousand percent, it was a huge help for both of us. So whether it's, you know, take, even if it's just your iPhone, take pictures of yourself, write about it. Like, even if you're not good with words, just like jot it down, paint, you know, whatever would work for you, find something just for you to do. That's a, an outlet to let yourself feel all the things. Thank you so much for joining us, Melissa. It was, always, as always, a pleasure to chat with you. Um, and I, I know one of these days we'll have to do it personally, but no, yes. thank you guys for having me on. Um, it's always, you know, kind of like a, a little bit of an honor, if you will, to be able to talk about it. Um, I feel kind of like a celebrity almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be a celebrity after this. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Kidney Cancer Unfiltered, brought to you by the Kidney Cancer Association. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get episodes weekly. And if you like the show, we'd love it if you left a review. It really helps others find us. Thanks again for listening. For more information about kidney cancer, visit the Kidney Cancer Association online at kidneycancer.org.